So the one story that I can tell is I did say to him, I said, what is wrong with you where, like, you could play a Grand Central Station, which is the loudest thing ever, people moving everywhere, yet in Singapore, a young poor guy is eating potato chips, <laughs> chips, and you stop the match and look over at him, and he's just, like, looking up from his potato chip bag saying, what did I do? <laughs> he said, I can't help myself. It's a mental problem. I cannot help myself doing that. And he says, funny story that I saw that same gentleman later in Hong Kong with Marwan. We went over to him and he was at, eating a bag of potato chips and Marwan said, the next time we're playing, please open up a bag of potato chips and chew on it as loud as you can. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. What about this? This call is being recorded. We are back for another edition of the Roundup, catching up on your weekly headlines, results, and news from the professional tour and college squash. Although we may have to change that a little bit. Is this, are we shifted in the monthly or annual? Update? I think the biggest issue is, Connor, is this, the, this is the weekly edition or the monthly edition of the Rundown. But it's been a while, so understandable that you would say Roundup. But yeah, I think we're going to forego a little college squash today and maybe cover that in our next episode. All right. I'm Connor Malley, joined by my lovely co-host, Bill Buckingham, jumping in unnecessarily correcting things that he doesn't understand and PJ, but this is a truly special occasion for me. This is seven years in the making for bill. This is a childhood dream come true. And (laughs) bill, why don't you introduce our guest today? So we have a guest on today who we've had on. How many times have we had him on Connor? Probably eight times scheduled scheduled. Yeah. Scheduled scheduled. Yeah. Yeah, about and it. yeah, pop, between he and PJ, they're probably the least busiest people I know. They have jobs that they go to work. What would you say estimate once a month, maybe if that? And yet we can't schedule them on a podcast, but we have corralled them. They're in one place, and for the first time in the history of the rundown slash breakdown slash roundup, we have the one and only Joey Barrington on the show. Welcome, Mr. Barrington. Thank you, Bill. I think the reason, obviously, I've gatecrashed unofficially a couple of your podcasts by ringing friend PJ, <laughs> but I stayed over at PJ's room last night, so I basically, he locked me in, and I had no choice but to talk to you guys and be on this podcast, but we slept well. That explains PJ's huge smile. <laughs> so, so many tournaments over the last two years, I've been trying to get a sleepover, Joe, but he just refused, flat out refused. But fortunately, he had so many Captain Morgans last night that somebody has to escort him to the room and... I've got the short straw. Yeah. <laughs> Escort sounds like a very appropriate word there, so we'll leave it at that. I, I, I didn't get paid, Bill. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. It's great to have you on, Joey. We've wanted to do this for years. Obviously, you're one of the most compelling figures in our sport of squash, and you, your role has changed a bit. You're still the, I want to say, lead announcer for squash TV. PJ gets upset when I say that, and now I'm guessing Lisa would probably get upset because she seems to be taking over the show. She'd, <laughs> she'd probably be the one to say, wow, wait a minute, I'm the lead announcer because she provides the best analytics of all eight of you or ten of you or how many people you have in that that rotating cast of characters on Squash TV. Beside Squash TV, Joey, I know you're, you have a new role with England Squash. Do you want to talk about that? It's a membership and partnership related, and I know your partnership with PJ is strong, but how are you taking that partnership skill that you have and translating it into your new role? No, it's really exciting. I've been in the role about four months and I wanted to do something to change a few things back home. The position came up. So it's membership and commercial partnerships. So 
relaunching a whole new membership scheme to grow the game in England and luckily coinciding with obviously our great news about being in the LA Olympics. So a really exciting time to join, I would say, the primary governing body outside of PSA. No offence with US squash, you were certainly up there as well, but the primary, the original governing body of the game, England squash. So really excited with that and it works very well alongside my commentating. And just to make it very clear to you, Bill, that I am the lead presenter and commentator and I'm not going anywhere. And in fact, this job that I have with England Squash is meaning I'm going to do more Squash TV. So I just wanted to clarify that one. But no, it's, it's wonderful to help build the game back home. I love promoting it on the world stage, but to actually make a difference back home. So I'm dipping into a lot of grassroots and participation as well as the commercial side to get try and get money into the governing body to push the game on. So that little powder that Lisa Aitkins pours into your water before you guys broadcast together, that's just like a, bo a boost, a powder boost? It's nothing she's not trying to poison you or anything? I am deteriorating physically. Yeah. My mind is still there, but I am. And there are a few rumors going around, but PJ said he's got my back, <laughs> hence letting me stay with him last night, because I can assure you I didn't have me Captain Morgan. So there was the last commentating match I was with Lisa, and I suddenly found myself in PJ's room. So I honestly don't know what's going on, but we're on it. We've got some analysts and some, some, some CCTV, CCTV and yeah. some PSA haven't employed enough people recently. So they're going to get a few more kind of undercover <laughs> in and stuff just to make sure that things are going on as they should do in the area. Are, are you as frightened of Lisa as I am? Uh, you should be, Bill. She's got your number. <laughs> no, understood. She's got your number, but... No, we're all terrified, aren't we? Yeah, we are. It's safe to say that we are all absolutely petrified. Yeah. Least. She runs the show yeah. behind the scenes. It's, it's very apparent. So let's get into the show a little bit, Connor. It's been a while since we've talked. We've had a lot of lot going on. The CSA season's coming to an end, and we'll cover that next week. I'll do a preview of the, the men's college and the women's college tournament. But in the past couple of weeks, there's been some, some great events on the PSA tour. I just got back from Houston. I was down there for my yearly... Or is it biannual? When you go twice, is it biannual or is it no, semi-annual? No. Bi 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 yeah, but that's two, bi years, two years. It's not biannual. Stick to words you know, Bill. You go twice a year. Just say twice a year, Bill. Just simplify it. Don't complicate it. Biannual will be every two years, but don't worry. Just testing to see if PJ knew what bi meant. I just I knew he confused on I, that. I don't need yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was down there, a great event, obviously won by, by Ali Farag, who sliced and diced his way through, through that draw. Every tournament, just to watch that kind of squash up close is incredible. And I know, PJ, you and you and Joey have been watching Ali progress for years. His performance in Houston, it was a very strong field down there, and he did not get touched. I don't know if you guys watched any of it on PSA TV. Just talk about what you think about Ali's. Is Ali the greatest player in squash history right now? Would you say he is the greatest player in squash history? In history? I know, Pete, in history. No, it's a bit of a the run that he's on at the moment. He's won, I think, 10 of the last 11 events. This, this streak that, that we're experiencing with him at the moment, it's up there with some of the great runs within the history of the game. But I don't, I won't put him as one of the all-time greats. When you're comparing him to the likes of Jahangir and Janshir, I think the level that those guys played at and the domination that they had, 10-time British Open champion for Jahangir, 455, sorry, 555 matches, four and a half years without dropping a game, five and a half without losing a match for Jahangir is something I don't think will ever be surpassed. Janshu was as dominant in, in his era, but I think what we're experiencing with Ali is quite extraordinary, but I wouldn't quite put him in the realms of the two JKs just yet. Yeah, no, I mean, it's always hard to compare the eras, but 
in terms of what's happening at the moment and how what's so impressive as well is the PSA World Tour has been the busiest it's ever been just to get that across to everyone whether it's at the challenges stage or at the elite status at the shop window the platinums and the gold events it's there's never been the amount of tournaments the volume of tournaments is considerable and he's obviously playing a ridiculously active schedule of events and taking those titles and I don't want to take anything away from any of the other players. Obviously, we've had Mustafa Rassal that's come out of the fray slightly with the sabbaticals and bans. And then he's reforming his game under James Wallstrop and Mohamed Elki. So he's going through a bit of a transition. I think we're all going through a transition. PJ's transitioning right, right next to me as we speak now. But um, And Paul Cole's obviously now started to add a few extras to his game. So the US Open lost to Paul Cole. He wasn't 100%. He doesn't go around telling everyone about that. Paul Cole did an outrageous tournament and deserves to win the event. And then obviously their Hong Kong match. And outside of that, really, you've got to be looking at just absolute dominance from Farag. The injury was a blessing in disguise. He wouldn't have been the player he is now if he hadn't had that knee injury. Yeah. He came back like a mark two. And it's been fantastic to see him get to his potential. For me, he was, before that injury, he was a bit, the hunger factor wasn't, there as much he felt he'd achieved enough in the game to basically possibly hang up the rackets but the hunger factor's there and it's great to see him so what we're seeing at the moment is Ali Farag getting absolutely everything out of his game as he can a hundred percent and it's great to to see him when it comes to when we're trying to predict who might win events now it does come down to a healthy Norel Shabini and an Ali Farag win for these events you have to go with those both those players with every other sport athletes are bigger, stronger, faster. You see it in the NFL, you see it in the NBA, you see it in the MLB, you see it in soccer even. So it's hard for me, and again, you guys defer to your knowledge of the sport. I'm a neophyte when it comes to this for sure. Why wouldn't Ali Farag be the best player ever, seeing we're in this era of bigger, faster, stronger athletes, and everyone's better, the equipment's better, everything's better. Why, why if you think right now, at his peak, if Jahangir Khan stepped on court with Ali Farag at his peak, do you think Ali Farag would not have a chance to win? Do you think like Jahangir Khan would wipe the floor with him? Because in, if you compare different eras in other sports, it's not really even an argument anymore. It's always it's fascinating, like I say, in all sports with the technology and the increase in technology with the players, like you say, the training. Ali Farag is, when we say bigger, faster, the movement's outrageous. His physique is so lean and sinewy. He's like Jancha Khan. So we talk about the greats, Jahangir and Jancha. Is he, is he a better version of Jancha Khan? Jancha Khan was... It's it's a fascinating one, and the way he plays the game, you can only beat who you can beat at the time of your era, and he's doing that. So, for me, the record books, and that's another one as well. So, you know, Nicole David's got the record for the world championship wins in the women's. Now, for me though, the greatest player in the women's game ever is Norel Shabini. She hasn't quite got that record. The level that's being played in the women's is very apparent how high it's been, the highest ever. With the men's. If you look through the old videos, you just the basic way for people to look at it. If they want to see the old videos, you look at accuracy of hitting. That that's the way for me. The filming techniques of what we understand and what we know, it gives the perception the game is a bit slower back in in the in those days. Yes, they were using the smaller head rackets, so the power wasn't there. The lower team came in the early nineties, which speeded up everything. But it's the accuracy levels. That's the fascinating thing. That accuracy level at a very high speed. And in the modern game, you can see some of these top players, I would say more so a few years ago, where the, it was this ridiculous kind of gung-ho blazing speed, but the accuracy levels weren't quite there yeah. at all. And that's where your likes of Rod Martin is, the fact he's very much involved in the game as a coach, 
at this period is so fascinating because that's what he based accuracy and ball control and then you're doing that at a pace and it's that's for the for the layman to look at it that's what i would suggest looking at if you want to look through the old footage is how tight they are to the side walls where the shots are going and where the ball's bouncing how much is around the no man's land how much is in the corners that for me is the key to the levels of these players through the different eras and is the training so top to bottom obviously back in that era there were players who trained your dad was the most famous fit athlete in the world at the time top to bottom on the psa tour both men and women right now do you feel that the training is at a higher level than it was back in the day. Maybe back in the day, the top three or four players, three or four, one, two, three or four players trained like nuts. But now it seems like they all do. And there's no, there's not like an easy match on court. There are players who are much better than other players. But as far as the fitness level, you don't get, you get nobody on court who's not supposed to be there. And you think that was the same back in that era? You've got the scientific development. So now they talk about their teams. You barely were lucky enough to have a coach back in, in the where you'd have your coach and that would be your coach. Now with my dad, he pioneered the training because he experimented on himself. He was the guinea pig and he experimented on himself and inventing, just to make this very clear, it's very important. He invented ghosting, the solo practice. He evolved that. The solo practice was always there because people would go on and hit on their own, but he structured the solo practice. And then as a coach, he brought in, and actually still as a player, the pressure session scenario, being fed a ball, but under a, a lot of physical discomfort, trying to simulate a match as much as possible. And then obviously the weight training side. Now the Australians with Jeff Hunt were fixated on the trap work. They used to do 400s. I know Rob Martin still likes to have that regime in the summer period, the off season, very fixated on the 400s. And all this was building in. Now these guys now have all got their team of, a, some of them have the physio with them all the time personal trainer, obviously psychologist, and then their squash coach. But in the squash coach, they could have a feeder, an actual coach that oversees structure of sessions. So there's a lot of these people involved that are getting them there. And PJ will confirm with me in terms of the different areas, his experience. I would say, and this is not taking away anything from the era at the moment, there's a lot less characters that get up to stuff outside. So the professionalism within the game, for instance, if we wanted to just, in terms of, going out, having drinks and things, if you lost, that doesn't happen no. now like it would have done in, in in my era and PJs and obviously before. They're on to the next event. They're having a practice match. They're warming down after they've lost. Back in the day, you'd see players that might lose and then they'd go off and they'd be in their squash gear, which hopefully they get a shower because we don't like that, do we, PJ? But And they'd be having a beer bill. They'd be getting stuck into the beers, whereas now they're on the bikes, warming down, protein shake getting ready for the next phase. So the professionalism of the game has increased, which is fantastic. So going back to what you were saying, we will, that, that, that's just going to enhance performances and increase that side, particularly from a physical point of view. I also think that the game itself has changed. We've gone to a 17-inch tin, the 11 scoring. The game now has become much more of a sprint, whereas in that era of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and so on, it was a much more endurance-based type of game. So with Jonah's development of the training side of it, it wouldn't probably have been as plyometric and power driven. It would be more lengthy, real aerobic kind of activities just so you could last longer on the court. It wasn't about necessarily completely blowing the opponent off the court. It would be a case of getting them to a point where they just physically couldn't carry on any longer. So I think that's another aspect of the game that's massively changed over the last 10, 15 years. If you look at these matches now, there's so many short, sharp, fast rallies, a lot, so much more activity into the front of the court. So Jonathan Powell was one of the first few who you could say used that speed to 
apply more pressure and take time away from the opponents, getting into the front corners to counter punch a lot quicker, whereas before that it was a little bit more attritional. So I think now we're seeing it probably pretty much the complete game. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah, we're still seeing matches an hour and a half plus with with lots of lengthy rallies, but also very dynamic as well. So it's a really good point from PJ, the complete game, because like I say, if we go back a few years with some of the players, I would say when your Gaultiers and Wallstrops were the golden period of the modern time when all those great players that had been world number ones, British Open champions, were stacked up in the top 10. When they started retiring Nick Matthew, there became it became a little bit haphazard. There was quite a, an inaccurate period, I would say. And now it's going back to a mix. And just to reiterate what PJ said, so they're playing at that ridiculously fast tempo on the volleys, the low kills, the explosive stuff, but then you see the lobs coming in, you see the change of pace and using the front wall as we talk about on Squash TV, and that's the complete game. The, the, the game ethos has never changed. To hit a good length, if you hit a good length against someone, you're going to cause a lot of problems. A lot of people just see the outcome of the cross-court nick or the attack at the front. They don't realise the chess that's gone on and the quality to the back of the court, which is where you've got to be playing. You're not going to be you're not going to be a top player if you've got no length. Even Tarek Tarek Moment is a perfect example. He played back to front squash for so many years, and he's had to then he's had to tailor it, and he achieved an amazing amazing result, winning the world championships in Qatar in 2019. And then Mezen Hisham is a more recent example of the basic game coming in, but then obviously that extravagant, wonderful, unique squash that you can see at the moment on the PSA. World tours. It is an interesting time in that way. The women's is beyond impressive. The women's for me is outrageous. Question, just a question on the training, just to go back to that before we move on, is the causality of all the top players being Muslim um, is the reason they don't go after it after a loss, right? They don't drink, to be frank. No, I mean, it's that, that's a big, that's a great point, and it's a cultural point as well. It's very much so. And there's Paul Cole will have a few beers. I'd say the rock star, you'd probably say the rock star of the PSA World Tour for the men is our Peruvian friend Diego Elias. But he's obviously had to curb his enjoyment of the wonderful drink that is beer uh, <laughs> to get himself up to competing with the top, very top guys and achieving what he's achieved so far, which is which has been amazing for the games. Diego is the kind of character that likes to wind down outside, but he's had to put a serious curb on that because otherwise he's not going to get to where he wants to get to in terms of the very top of the tree for sustained periods of time. Right. So the days of Amr Shabana ripping cigarettes before and after matches are over is what you're saying? <laughs> they are over, yes. The sprinkler sprays would come on, the extinguishers would be there. Obviously, PSA would employ some more people because they haven't put enough <laughs> with extinguishers to have that role of extinguishing any kind of cigarette smoking from players. <laughs> I think it's a challenging conversation in any sport to compare errors. It's just, it's... it's errors, sorry. Is that your accent then, Connor? Yeah, errors. Yeah, errors. Uh, it's kind of like apples to oranges a little bit, but clearly Ali Farag is setting his dominance in this error. And what do you think it would take, if you could combine any of the players on tour, what it would take to take him down right now? Probably tie his shoelaces up at night, uh, maybe try and cut his strings. Yeah, cut his strings, get, take his underwear away. It's a really. So you're describing your last night with PJ, correct? <laughs> yeah, goes no further than all the thousands of people that tune into your podcast. But it, that's a great question, Connor. It's a wicked question. And you've had glimpses of it a little bit. So the adaptation that's happened, like, 
with Paul Cole, for instance, who's very his main coach is Robert Owen. That has to be made very clear. But he's doing a lot of work at these events. A lot of feeding goes in, and it's not like Rob Rod Martin. Sorry, I was going to call him Rob Martin. Crazily, Rod Martin. Yeah, a little mashup. Yeah, is there. Rowan. You see him obviously in the corner, and he likes to talk. But before the game, in between the games, they have a revamp after the game. He's in there, but you don't get to see necessarily the behind the scenes, which obviously we'd love to bring you. Is he's on court getting like the hardcore feeding that he does with the players that he has at yeah. tournaments yeah, is a joke. Whereas some of the other coaches, and it's not to take away from them, it just might be a light bit of a feeding and stuff. With Rod, he's he's properly on there getting them really, really into it, which is very reminiscent of how my dad would work with players at tournaments when he was coaching in England. And it, again, that would be something to get on camera and show a bit because it is very impressive. But Paul Cole, is he's tweaking his game. The Ali Farag question, you had Paul Cole win those British Opens against Ali Farag when the physicality of Farag is nothing like it is now, post-injury. Yep. And Paul Cole did him in two British Opens because he played a very error-free, straight, grinding game accurate as well and he didn't have an answer to it now going back to the injury he's then got himself physically in the best shape he's ever been Ali Farag and then he's got all those aspects but their match they played in Hong Kong for me was Ali Farag was not he wasn't ill in any way he didn't have a virus or a, a, a thing which he had a little bit possibly at the US Open and they came together and it was a five game belter and it was a very impressive match it was one of the best matches we've had for quite some time and then Diego Elias having a go at him at TOC more recently. And that's a fascinating one because they're quite similar players in the way they like to play the game. But the problem Diego's got is he's 15, 15 kilograms heavy. too heavy. And you've got the, so to go back to eras and comparing, you've got the Chris Dittmar, Jan Chakan analogy. Chris Dittmar was 13 stone in English weight. Jan Chakan was about nine and a half. And he would go at times two love up and lose to Jan three, two most of the time because he gets so tired. So... Mohamed El Shabagi trying to hang on. He can't get into Farag like he used to at all. Farag is pretty bulletproof, I feel, with Mohamed, although Mohamed will keep going. And then obviously you've got Mustafa Asal. Um, again, the weight issue, the fitness of Asal has proved that at best of three, he has Farag's number because of the World Tour finals. He's taken Farag down at the best of three. But at the best of five, he blows a gasket. So it's a great question, Connor, and that's what we're looking at like, with these players that are trying to compete at the top end with Farag. You're going to have to be, you're going to have to be putting him under pressure with his movement, which is a nightmare because he moves so brilliantly. You're going to have to be there physically, and you're going to have to be there tactically as well. But he's adapted really well to all these bits that have happened. Like I said, you're looking at a Mark II Farag that's playing the best squash of his career, and you look back and you say, I don't really know what else he could get out of himself. No. with it mentally physically the technical side he's reading the game they're playing each other inside out so many events and you can just see with Farag he's setting off every time that bit earlier unusually earlier than a lot of the other players because he knows what they're doing the reading of the game comes into his movement and what he's doing what do you feel just touching on Joey's point there that's again so interesting about Farag he made this very public that those defeats that he had to pull and again it's another just a mark of the brilliance of Farag very bright very intelligent he then went up the areas where Paul Cole would expose Farag would be high up on the volleys both sides forehand and backhand and Farag didn't have the strength so would flap a lot of his attempted volleys therefore leaving a weak opening for Paul Cole to then put the ball away and put him under pressure Farag has now addressed that particular issue so again the game of Farag is becoming even more complete I personally don't see Farag losing unless he's injured or ill yeah. before a semi-final stage 
and for him to for players now for me to have a bit of success and joy against Farag, he will need his run through to the semis and the final to be quite physical and tough. Yeah. Because if he gets to those stages of the tournament with relative ease and somewhat fresh, I just think he's got too much artillery, the economy of his movement and his tactical nous at the moment is a level that it can't it can't be touched. Uh, and the issue with this is, and I know that I hesitate to bring this back to me because with Joey on here, I don't want him to see what our true podcast is normally about, which is typically <laughs> about me. And it's uncomfortable that I haven't spoken enough. And Joey, so if you'd give me a little time, I'd appreciate it. In the last 10 days, I've interviewed Ali Farag five times. I am out of questions for Ali Farag. So what am I going to say to him anymore? Last night I walked out in the court to him and I said, literally, I've spoken to you more than I've spoken to my wife in the last 10 days. <laughs> is that why is that, is that why the FBI were there looking at a stalking order for you? <laughs> no, that's another story. So we're going to go back to Houston real quick just so we can move this. Believe me, there is this story that relates to stalking and me and a PSA player slightly, but we'll get to that in a second. So I just want to finish up with Houston real quick. The quarterfinal night in Houston was probably as good a quarterfinal evening of squash as I've watched, because a lot of times you get to the quarterfinals, some of the players aren't as healthy as they can be. Quarterfinal night with Farag Momin, Gawad Elalainen, Asal, especially Asal Hasham, and Sherbagi Rodriguez was Did just as... Shazam. Sorry. That's why I call him. Shazam. Was... No, Shazam's a superhero. You mean Hasham. Hasham. Um, Hasham. Sorry, he's a dude, you, dude, you give me shit about mispronouncing names, which is fair. I do that. But you guys pronounce names so differently between the nine of you guys who do PSA TV. I don't know who does. Like, who's the touchstone? Who's the one I should listen to? PJ. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. So oh. the Mazen Hesham match against Mustafa Asal was one for the ages. A 12-10, 88-minute basher. And the crowd in Houston, and I know PJ has been to that Houston arena, it is tight, it is hot, it is loud, and the, pl- the fans are very knowledgeable. It was as exciting a PSA match as I've been to in person. And Hasham beat Mustafa Asal and then backed it up by beating Mohamed Al-Shrabagi. Beside all the great food and all which I did eat, ridiculous. Houston is the most underrated, maybe on the PSA tour, because it's such a big city. Players don't get out and about. Probably one of the best food cities in the country. Some of the- yeah. I mean, I was, don't I mean, tell Joey that. He's already applied for the next position over yeah, I mean, I'll the be next there. commentary gig. I mean, <laughs> That's red rag to a bull. I'll be there next year. Joey, look, I don't know if it's the camera, but I'm thinking salads might be the way to go for you. Yeah, interesting. There's a swimming pool here over at the university school if you want to come over. Just that yeah, way. Yeah, no, keep that quiet. That's <laughs> by the way, that, that'll be Oasis. But yeah, ate some just incredible food. But the biggest story that came out of Houston is I think right now I'm best friends with Mohammed Al Shabaki, which is like out of, out of the blue. As we know, and listeners of this podcast know, I've never been a big Mohammed Al-Shrabagi fan. I make fun of him constantly on the show. Talk about his voices in his head, the, the ghosts that speak to him. And when he does his interviews afterwards, there's always something going on in the background that he's going to tell us about later. But he never actually tells us about it. <laughs> people, eating, people eating potato chips in Singapore, like getting on his nerves. You name it. So quick question there. Has he listened to the podcast or not? He has not, but I told him all of this. So it started with us sharing rides to the arena in Houston. We got, I got a little VIP treatment in Houston and was picked up with Mohammed Al-Shrabagi. And after he got eliminated with Ali Farag riding in the car, FYI, not nearly as fun as riding with Mohammed Al-Shrabagi. Oh my God. <laughs> Ali Farag, Ali Farag is a weird dude. Let's put it out there. He's a weird dude. Nice, but he's weird. So Nice enough. But Mohamed Al-Shrabagi is actually an interesting guy, man. He, I, I had never, I, he, 
even he said, look, people are intimidated by me when they see me in the squash court. I have this persona, but off the squash court, I'm a nice guy. And I first thing I said to him, I said, Mohammed, I said, I cannot picture you and Joel King are together. She is such a nice person and you're not. And he took it very well. He started laughing and said, yeah, he goes, people see that because they see me off the court and on the court and they don't know that I'm actually pretty. He called himself affable, I think, if he, but I'm not positive. But yeah, he. I, I really don't know if this is just you describing a weird dream you had or no. whether this was actually. Oh, oh, Connor, this goes farther than this. This goes way farther than this. Then we're going to need video of the two of you. A selfie video doing this like this is 100 percent the case i got mohammed el shabagi to listen to the grateful dead but what well, i mean phil you know you're emceeing here in chicago why mm -hmm. aren't you why aren't you asking these questions in the emceeing you're wild bill at the end of the day now, you're known internationally as wild bill we know you very well we don't want to propagate it by the one and only you're going to definitely self-destruct and go out in the blaze of glory but yeah. I don't understand why you didn't ask these things because it'd be so much more interesting and entertaining. entertaining yeah. Because you'll then get a bit of that out. So what you're talking about, joking aside, a lot of the obviously the viewers just see what they see on Squash TV. They don't see mm -hmm. PJ in the commentary box wearing a pair of tights and a, and a kind of corset. <laughs> they don't see that. <laughs> we need to get this stuff across. So I'm asking you, would that be appropriate? Would I be banned? If I did that, my fear is, because as, as I have told many people on this podcast, I'm retiring from my full-time job with, within the next year. So I'd like to continue with some MC gigs. So if I did go that route, would that then preclude me from doing PSA events going forward? Would the powers that be at the PSA say, hey, this buttoned-up sport that can't handle something like, quote-unquote, Wild Bill being himself? Being Wild Bill. Absolutely. I'm just a bit, I'm just trying to work out what you're retiring from, but you're, you're a life coach. Was that your main work? Life coach? <laughs> Motivational speaking, <laughs> guys. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. On a serious note, I've, you'll be seeing a few. We're going to be releasing Beyond the Glass, which is, we did a pilot episode in Zurich, and I was told, I'm happy to say this, to be more myself, which is obviously... Some of the messages I get in from me trying to find out if I am quite stable mentally, which obviously I'm not. I might be, you know, what, a lot. I don't. Yeah. Anyway, I've been told, and this is obviously going to be an atomic bomb worthy mm -hmm. of Bill Oppenheimer to be myself, be my proper self for the next episode that we'll be filming in Chicago. So what I'm trying to say, Bill, is that we can both go out. In a blaze of glory. <laughs> I'm down. To, hey, Thelma and Louise, like Joey and Bill. I like it. I'm in. I am in. So it's to like continue a, before, because like I know we're going to run, we want to get to, we want to get to the reason Joey and PJ are on here, but I want to just finish up with my Ahmed Al-Shirbagi romance story. It went from Houston to where we rode in the car for three days in a row and talked about a myriad of things to me arriving in Chicago on Monday, a little tired because I had the early flight. So of course, the first thing you do is get into Chicago is head down to the pool and the steam room and the yeah, sauna. You stopped mentioning about that. That's like a sanctuary it's under the radar that people aren't uh, the, Okay, fair enough. So the first day I'm laying in the sauna, like nodding off sleeping because I'm so tired, and in walks Mohammed El Shabagi <laughs> well, into the sauna. Like full frontal? Is he? Yeah, full, he full, no, yeah, he wrapped a towel around him. So yeah. it was not uncomfortable. Plus, I didn't have my contact lenses in, so I could barely make out who it was. And he looked at me and said, Hey, Bill, we see each other again. And I looked, I said, Oh, so I started grilling him. And I said, Number one, I have a podcast. I'm going to ask you, are you okay with me asking you a bunch of uncomfortable questions right now? He goes, ask me whatever you want. So I asked him everything, Joey. And he said, as long as we keep it in the sauna and not talk about it outside the sauna, 
His con, he, I tell you what, it would be the best podcast ever, the 20 minutes I spent with him and that's on it. It was incredible. But that would be a, a wicked podcast in its own right. Surely you can set up audio and have it all decent there and just go for it. <laughs> it, I, the video, it. The, I think the video would probably sell more, to be honest with you. Thanks. <laughs> so the one story that I can tell is I did say to him, I said, what is wrong with you where, like, you could play a Grand Central Station, which is the loudest thing ever, people moving everywhere. Yet in Singapore, a young poor guy is eating potato chips, <laughs> the chips and you stop the match and look over at him. And he's just like looking up from his potato chip bag saying, what did I do? <laughs> he said, I can't help myself. It's a mental problem. I cannot help myself doing that. And he says, funny story that I saw that same gentleman later in Hong Kong with Marwan. <laughs> we went over to him and he was at, eating a bag of potato chips. And Marwan said, the next time we're playing, please open up a bag of potato chips and chew on it as loud as you can. <laughs> Oh, oh my yeah, God. That's, that's really. Oh, it was so, great. That's, that's a great story, Bill. I just want to get some clarity of your relationship status with Muhammad. Are you at yeah. a, like a you up at two two a.m. in the morning status? Were you Te- like te- yeah, texting you up, and then I scramble over to his room. Yeah, yeah. Have I done that yet? No, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep that in the sauna. But am I gonna officiate he and Joel's wet he and Joel's wedding? That's the better question. Oh that, my that's God. Me. Oh my gosh. Reverend Bill. Reverend Bill. He's actually, that's not a joke. He's, he, how many, eight, how many have you blessed in matrimony? And then how many of them are still together? Follow up. All, to, all still together. I've done three weddings, all still together. And I'm marrying my brother. I'm not marrying my brother. I am officiating my brother's wedding this summer. That'll be my fourth. It's a serious note. Yeah, I'm sure the viewers know it. It's, it's serious. You, you do that. It's another string to your boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, just another thing that doesn't pay any money. that's the issue but yeah so i muhammad said he would not come on the podcast till after he retires because he is fearful of retribution from his thoughts and he has a lot of thoughts his thoughts on rami ashore would rock the psa world if you haven't heard them it would be the best podcast ever just him talking he talked to me about rami ashore so we did three saunas together that was the first sauna we've done two other saunas since then one of them coordinated or not coordinated not coordinated. One of them was with Abdullah Al-Tamimi and, and Yusuf Ibrahim, and they talked in Arabic, and I sure, I'm sure i 100% sure they were talking about how fat I am because sitting in the steam room in the sauna with them, the three fittest human beings in America was very intimidating with my white belly hanging over my towel. Um, I'm sure they were Mohammed, spending all of that time being able to like think about what you look like in a towel. Yeah. It's my narciss- <laughs> hey, narcissism is a deadly sin, Connor, as you know. So I know we don't have much time with Joey. Let's get to the, we're in Chicago right now. The tournament's happening. We just had uh, last night, the end of the second round. The third round starts today, but Joey and PJ are embarking on a commercial endeavor. And I, this is a hundred percent the reason Connor shocked. Joey came up to me and said, Hey, I want to do a podcast. Because that's what I'm learning through my role with England Squash. Before we do go down that road, I want to make a serious announcement. Myself and PJ are expecting and we are looking to tie the knot with each other. I made the uncomfortable phone call to my wife this time. Um, Thruples are in these days. I don't know about... Thruples are in these days, so... Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's been... It's obviously, it's been going on for years, but we're officialising it all, so I just wanted to throw that out there. So... <laughs> We don't know. We're going to find out if it's a girl or a boy. We're just going to let it happen. But PJ's carrying. It, it, <laughs> looks, like you, it looks like you may be, Joey. Although you'd think that Joey would be the one carrying, given the tight T-shirt. It's twins. Exactly. I'll, I'll officiate. 
Thanks. I hope so. Thanks, Bill. Free, obviously. <laughs> so, guys, talk about what you have happening this summer. It's very exciting. I think I'm surprised this has not happened sooner with both of yours profile in the game of squash. I don't know if anyone besides the players has a higher profile in our sport than you or PJ. So talk about your your newest endeavor. Yeah, it's been a few years in the making, Bill. Obviously, I had spent 20 years in the U.S., during which time uh, been involved with a lot of camps in the U.S., bringing a lot of U.S. players across to Europe and just seeing the benefits that they can bring to some of the American players to get out and experience some international squash and get uh, used to some squash in different countries outside of the home comforts and approached Joey a couple of years ago about possibly doing a, a camp or two together and every time we got down that route we ran into a few sort of dead ends and it wasn't wasn't exactly made possible for one reason or another but finally now with a little bit more freedom and a bit more flexibility the fact that I've relocated back to London last May it's now given us a massive opportunity to team up, use my experience and knowledge and connections over here in the US and Joey's connections with some facilities back in the UK. We've got an opportunity to bring our skill sets together and we're going to start doing some camps and it's going to start with a 10-day camp at the Millfield School, which is a very renowned school down in the southwest of England where Joey went as a kid and his father was heavily involved there as the head coach for a number of years. It's an unbelievable facility there. Joey's done all the coordinating on that side of things and so we're literally a couple of days away from the launch. Yeah, we're going live oh, on Monday. Exciting. So it's going to be J JBPJ Squash Camps, which we it took us six years to come up with that. Jesus. With that with that title. We really yeah. went time out, time out. Hold my hand my hands up. I gotta ask. Mr. Nickname Giver. The best yeah, well, thing you could come up with was the JBPJ camps? Yeah, originally it was PJ, JB Camps, and that oh, took okay. then change it over. So we're really happy with what we've come up with now. <laughs> but yeah, on a serious note, it's we're looking at the, we're going to be going, running the camp. It's a, it's a one-off camp initially, 10 days, 14th to 24th of July. World Juniors will be happening at that period of time. But we are, as PJ said, directly at Millfield School, which will be releasing loads of videos and footage to give everyone a real look into that. You guys are spoiled over in America with the college facilities and a lot of these kind of private high school facilities. But I have to say, Millfield School is very unique within Europe, actually, to be honest. The, the facilities there are like an Olympic training base. So everything's on campus. The accommodation, the food is geared towards sports people. It's a primary sports school in England. So we're there. My dad had his academy for a long period of time brought through the Shabagi brothers and a lot of other top players. Peter Marshall, former world number two, was there as well back in the day. So we're really excited to have the opportunity to do this. And the reason we're doing 10 days is that we want it international. We know about traveling better than anyone in terms of traveling and training. So we wanted to extend it to give people the opportunity to fly out and come here. We're not trying to tread on anyone's toes in the States where the camps are absolutely saturated to the max and everyone goes for it. We want to just offer up a unique experience for kids to maybe travel out of the States, come into somewhere beautiful in England like Millfield School in Somerset, and then have get on knowledge. And we're going to make it very fun. We bizarrely have a very good rapport. We'll make it very fun, but we're going to have a lot of terrific content in there, combining PJ's kind of level of play that he got to with his tactical side and his technical side, and myself with the physical side, which has always been a big 
a big factor for me and my father will come in and make some appearances as well so it's a great opportunity for the youngsters to come in and we're really excited about it and as you kindly pointed out Bill it's a long time coming but we're finally doing it so we're really excited to launch but we'll go live with our website and everything else and all the info on Monday. So you said it, the market's saturated over here in the U.S. with, with camps. Give me your elevator pitch. What, why am I, when I could go down the street to Boston or to New York or somewhere very close, give me the elevator pitch about why I'm flying over to, to England if folks are going to be coming from the U.S. over to England to go to your camp. Just one very quick point after sitting down and discussing this, Joe and I suddenly realized we've got over 10,000 matches between us of experience watching players from top 100 in the world right up to the very top of the tree and when you look at what would separate us and what can we bring to the table different from some of these other camps obviously we're not looking to recruit for college or any of that kind of situation but just to pass on some of the knowledge that we both have as players but also as pundits and just seeing we're obviously students of the game we're continually studying and evolving out our knowledge but to give us an opportunity to then pass that on, there isn't anybody out there providing camps at the moment with that much experience and insight to the very top levels of the game. We've, and that's not taking what there's a lot of obviously terrific coaches out in the States. And as I said, we're not trying to step on anyone's toes. The people that want to come to the camp, we're going to be personally speaking to the coaches of those kids to get a really nice background and work with the kids and it's not like a grab and go which I know happens because it's such a competitive market here in the States and what sets us aside is not only coming out to the UK this is quite an exciting opportunity for these kids to actually travel out of the States rather than go back up the road if the parents are wanting to come over to England they can but we're not going to necessarily let the parents come in and be watching and overseeing what we're doing we want these kids to enjoy themselves, get stuck into a lot of intense squash, but have a lot of fun and have an experience outside of their own backyard. At the end of the day, Bill, squash and travel go, that's what it is, squash and travel. And nobody's doing a kind of camp like this anywhere outside of America. And so it's just a, it's just a, an opportunity to offer up something different. And a lot of people listen to what we're saying and we joke aside, but on a serious note, you can't, there's over 10,000 matches. We were going through the matches and that's a lot of analysis and talking about and going backwards and forwards. And I want to do this side of it. I grew up doing camps with my father at Millfield, which were generally for Europeans and the English. This was before the American market went off, but it, I loved it, you know, so I just, I, I'm very keen to do it and we are doing it. Yeah, and like I said, we're not trying to take any players away from anywhere and we just want them to come off having an amazing experience and then they'll go back to their coaches in the States and hopefully talk about it mm -hmm. and have an experience that they can tick off as, as a great time. Well, since I've become best friends with Mohamed El Shrabagi, I've learned something that I didn't know, which was you guys are really disliked by the PSA Tour players. And so curious, are you expecting to have some of the PSA Tour players come and be part of the camp? Well, we've had a list, actually. Mohamed has come in to ask. He wants to be, he wants to be like the head of accommodation. So he wanted to just... <laughs> that's that's a very said, funny inside story, by the way. Yeah, we said we said we might we'll consider it, but Marwan's keen as well. So we're gonna to have to I don't know how we'll be able to do that between the two players. All, all joking aside, what other staff? So how many players do you expect to have at this camp for the ten days and how many what kind of other staff would be there we might know? So we're looking so this at the senior school of Milford, there's a junior school and a senior school. We're gonna just start at the senior school, everything on campus, three gyms, six squash courts, outdoor track, Olympic pool, loads of areas for training. We're looking at 18 players, so 
pretty specialist. We might be able to go to 24, depending on how much the uptake is. We're hoping to have, obviously, a really good amount of interest and uptake. So we won't go any more than 24 to make sure that we've got enough quality in terms of time on court and off and manageable. Myself and PJ, my dad's going to make an appearance, but we've got a few surprises along the way, which we're arranging at the moment. But we'll make sure there's going to be, there's going to be enough there for them to get a huge amount of value for money and input. But we're lucky, again, with the contacts that we have, joking aside, that we can get pretty much whoever we want within reason to come and make an appearance and give some insight for the kids. So we, there's a few surprises along the way and we're quite happy to keep it that way. People that might want to talk to us by signing up will obviously let know. But yeah, it's there's going to be... And also we need to just see how the uptake is with boys and girls, yeah. with boys and girls, because if we get a great uptake with the girls as well, we'll obviously have some female coaches in there anyway, but that will be another area where we'll look to maybe get an appearance from someone to come in that's of a very established note. Last question before we let you go, because we know you're on the clock, Joey. Have you guys thought about adults? It seems that like the majority of your fan base are adults. And have you thought about an adult camp? Because that would we be are, something I would be interested in. We, we will do that. We are, like PJ moving back to England, we're going to be able to utilise the facilities at Millfield School through the holidays. It's a private school, so the holidays they get are considerable. So you get a heavy Christmas period of holidays, three to four weeks. Easter, there's half terms as well within those terms. So you have three terms in England, the winter term, spring term, summer term. That's, and then you have the holidays that are there. And then the summer period, there's 10-week holidays. So we definitely want to do that. We, that would be a lot of fun. We would try and structure that to, if we got international people over, we'd obviously want that to be of a lengthier time. Maybe not 10 days, because not everyone has the luxury of 10 days time off from the adult world. But we're definitely going to be looking to do that. We want to, and with that, turn that into a more of a social environment where obviously yeah. we, we take them out and we tell them, a few stories and a few various cocktails. <laughs> PJ's favourites of pina colada with extra peanut. Connor, got anything to finish up? No, Bill, I think you took all the time. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I actually have one one last question for Joey and PJ. And PJ, I know that you got into a little diatribe on, on social media with a, I forget, I don't know what the guy's name is, Connor something or other, regarding criticism of your podcast. So for the first time in my MC career, I've been getting criticized over the last few days. I guess it's a fatigue from seeing me so often on Squash TV. So on Facebook and on Reddit, I've been getting crushed about my growling when I say the names. Like when I, as I was told, I talk normal until I announce the names and then I growl the names like I'm a boxing announcer and I'm getting flack on social media for it. How do you guys handle that? I've, ne I've never got, I'm like, I'm a popular guy. Usually I don't get any flack. I'm not well, sure how to deal with this. When you start to step into our shoes of kind of fame, Bill, you're going to have to start to deal with that, unfortunately. <laughs> you can't please all the people all the time, and you do get yeah. your trolls, and you get your people who think they know a little bit about the game when clearly they don't. There are a few individuals who I do know personally, and I know that they do have no idea whatsoever. So I'll only entertain a few of the comments. The things we get accused of, racism, sexism, bias, and everything else, it's just farcical at the end of the day. Just focus on kind of the core and the majority, Bill, and you should be fine. Yeah, I mean, on a, yeah, with you, Bill, honestly, the majority is there, and that's what you take heed of. You're, you're always going to have people that won't like you, and they just won't like you. And we have that, of course, no matter what you say, no matter how well you do a, an MC uh, interview or how we would do a commentary that's superb, 90% 90 percent <laughs> will be enjoying that and understanding it and appreciating the mix of a bit of humor and a good insight. 
and then you'll get the ones that don't and you, you're never going to be able to control that that's their choice with that and it just it comes with the territory really it's human nature and good luck to them i've got absolutely no interest in them whatsoever <laughs> keep growling bill there's you've got a, you're a nickname wild bill if you go in there and you're not growling it's going to be really boring <laughs> seems like just a, an observation bill it seems like you're overvaluing people that you don't know and maybe has always been undervaluing the people that you do know that is on the nose connor connor i apologize to you because you're one of those people for sure i apologize yeah well, connor yeah. In, Little and often, what he says is obviously surpassed all the gobbledygook we've talked about today, and he's, he's the voice of reason. Yes, exactly. All right, guys, that was a lot of fun. Joey, long time coming. Don't be a stranger. We look forward to having you on again here on the Rundown slash Breakdown slash TBD. I'm looking forward to being on with Mohammed El Shabagi on the next episode. But <laughs> I really appreciate it, guys. You're great guys, both of you. And thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to seeing you later on today. And Connor... Always a pleasure. Hair looks immaculate. And we know that we need to get in touch with you when we are feeling a bit wonky and we need that little bit of direction. So uh, give you a call later on. <laughs> All right, boys. Be good. Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.